0: Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team, cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello
1: everyone, welcome to Absolute Rally, episode one, season 20, not the way I ever imagined starting a season of our podcast. This is probably not going to be a normal season, it has to be said for, for obvious reasons, I genuinely hope you are all keeping well and safe, and as are your families. We've decided to bring the podcast back. We appreciate it. There's loads of content out there at the moment because everybody and his dog seems to be doing a podcast, but we decided to try and do some podcasts that perhaps would also stand a little bit of test of time. So not necessarily timelining with what was going on in the world right now, um, but obviously there'll be nods to it throughout various chats that we've had. We've, We've basically had somewhere in the region of five, six, seven chats with different people in rallying that we know, some of which have... Never been on the podcast before. Um, one or two have, um, and they have been involved in rallying at various levels for different reasons. And, um, I just wanted to have a chat with them. And, and the boys have been involved in some of them. I've done quite a lot of them on my own, just the way things have worked out. And that's that's a little bit unfortunate, but, um, but yeah, it's been a strange time deciding whether we were going to put something together or not. I hope you genuinely enjoyed the ninety five special that we put out um a few weeks ago now and it was something that we've been trying to put together for quite some time and we decided to do it in that initial down period I suppose to to, to try and put something out while we we figured out and I suppose the world figured out what was gonna what was gonna happen moving forward. I don't suppose we're We're much further forward now, really, but um, we won't be putting content out just for the sake of putting out content, and we're all in agreement with that, so we won't do things for the sake of doing it. But uh, these chats, as I say, you could listen to at any time, really. You know, That was the idea, that these could be reverted back to at any given moment, and they could be listened to, and they'd be pretty much timeless, I suppose. And that was the idea behind them. And the first person I wanted to talk to was somebody that's never been on absolute rally, but somebody who I classes as, as, as a, friend. Um, and it's Neil Cole. And of course you'll be familiar with Neil Cole now, probably more. So I suppose for his coverage of doing rally cross, and obviously he is the spotter on dirt, which we do talk about a little bit as well. Um, but for me, um, he is what probably one of the most natural, brilliant, uh, funny presenters of motorsport. I think I've ever come across really. And, and, and 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 for that, I wanted to get on and, and, and talk to him about, I suppose, his journey of, of where he got to um, and his love that has come about for for, for, for for Rally and now working with Ken Block and things like that. In all honesty, there was no reason why we didn't talk about Rallycross as such. It just never really came up. And that's the thing. All these conversations are, are kind of a little bit unplanned. They are genuine conversations as opposed to a 10-point a conversation question plan that we, we have for a guest or whatever it may be. These are just conversations and they can kind of go anywhere. As you'll hear, probably with more so at the top with with, with Neil and myself, obviously, because we work together in, in a completely different environment away from motorsport, which we talk a little bit about. Um, the other idea behind doing these podcasts is that, you may remember a while ago, we decided to do stuff with the mugs and things like that. And, and we, we, we kind of said, look, we'll do donations to charity and, and you know, send screen grabs or, or, or you know, and, and just share with us what what you're doing. And, you know, we'll, we'll do something like that. There's no prizes um, at the moment. Um, but what we have decided to do is Kielder, uh, along with ourselves, have decided to put this out um and any money that's generated will be going to charity so we're not charging Kielder. what Kielder are going to do and we're working towards how this is going to happen at the moment they're going to be donating um some equipment to um an ambulance station or something along those lines where it can go to some of the guys that perhaps have been working outside the ordinary or putting in you know, longer hours to keep vehicles on the road or whatever. So we're talking to a couple of people at the moment of of, of how that's going to happen. But Kielder are donating. Um, LR Producer is is doing it also for the love. And obviously, I'm not going to be charging anybody either. Uh, All I ask, if you enjoy the chats and, and enjoy what we do over the next six or seven weeks, if, if you could make a bit of a donation, if you want to share that with us, that's fine. If you want to keep it private, it's fine. But uh, wherever you are in the world, there will be The equivalent of what we've got here in the UK, which is our fantastic NHS, and obviously our other frontline workers, Uh, we all know they are. We all know they are in our own countries. Uh, Do something for them, you know, whether it is a donation of money or whatever it may be. And I'm sure you know many of you already are doing things. Um, But this was just our way of perhaps doing something and giving a little bit back. It's not a lot, I accept that. Um, And you know, it was very very tough on whether we were going to put any more podcasts out for, 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 for any time soon, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but we've decided to do these. I hope you, you you enjoy them. And, um, you know, as I say, if, if you do share it around, um, tell your friends, you know, if they are looking for a little bit of a rally outlet, we are doing stuff, which, which is timeless really, because it is, it is a retrospective look at different people's careers. Um, I'm not going to tell you, who's coming up but it is so diverse uh it is untrue and i'm talking from from drivers to presenters to bosses of motor companies it it is just it, it is just a fantastic array of people that we've managed to talk to uh and there's still one or two that we still haven't quite done yet all these have been pre-recorded but there's a couple that we're just waiting to see and i don't want to jinx it because um they'll be they'll be quite good fun and something a little bit different and maybe people you don't really normally hear from. Um so yeah so anyway without further ado episode one is uh myself and Neil Cole talking about his career, uh how our paths cross as I mentioned before in different ways. And um yeah it was just it was just a, a great chat with Neil and um I love talking to Neil. It's always great fun. And sit back, relax, enjoy and this is myself and Neil Cole.
0: This is Absolute
1: Rally. Neil Cole, welcome to Absolute Rally, this kind of special body of work that we're putting together. We've not spoke for a while. Are we keeping well?
0: Yes, very well, thanks, Tony. It's um, it's funny old times, isn't it? Uh, I think everyone's in a, in a strange space um, now, but yeah, to hear your voice, it's always nice to speak to someone. <laughs> <I was laughs> to, saying, speak to anybody at the moment, yeah, you. A while—it's
1: been too long. I—I I was trying to think of uh, when I first became aware of you, and how I, I kind of got to know you subsequently after that. And and I came up with something where, which I actually wrote down last night when I was thinking about we were going to have a ch- chat. Neil Cole was was the person who did a lot of the similar same things to me, but did them so much better and so much more successfully. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so i'll I'll qualify that for for the listeners you you don't know um i'm actually blushing (laughs) yeah neil and i obviously um know each other from from another world as well neil and i both both were involved in comedy and we both did stand-up and neil did it far more successfully than me doing the likes of edinburgh and things like that and doing radio and 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 stuff and how long were you doing stand-up for neil well i
0: Two goes at that. I was in, I did it as a double act um, for five years, uh, late 90s, early noughties. And then um, as a solo stand-up, I started again in 2007 and I kind of fizzled out. (laughs) (laughs) Officially, I took a sabbatical and deliberately chose to stop doing it. But really, I fizzled out about three years ago. So so as a solo stand-up, I did about... 10 solid years. And that's using solid in the loosest possible term.
1: <laughs> <laughs> was, was that, with your pardon, the, the obvious kind of clunky um, connection, is was that a vehicle for you for presenting, or did you not even have that on the radar when you first started?
0: No, honestly, uh <sighs> it's my my journey to all of these things especially into and out of and back into motorsport is all very sort of weird and ad hoc so i came out of university as a as a A serious actor. And then I sort of found comedy by doing a double act with my friend Tom Hillenbrand. And stand up in Edinburgh, our our comedy show sort of caught fire for whatever reason. It was a really lovely place to be, 1998. Um, Got me seen by a lot of TV people who um, I got my first presenting job, which was ITV2 Bedrock, which then led to MTV, which then led to AXN Shakedown. But I never did anything as a means to an end it was and the weird thing was when I went back to stand up I was already doing a lot of the things that people get into stand up as a as a career move to get to so I was already presenting I was already acting I was already doing a lot of really interesting sort of writing and production work but I wanted I had a jones to get up on stage and say thing i thought were funny (laughs) um so so i've had those two phases taught me a lot of you know kind of holistically you know the zen side of things is is i really did do stand up for the sake of i think this is funny let's see if a room full of strangers agree with me um so uh it was never a means to an end and i was just was at the very beginning of my career i was very very lucky that some things went well and they led to more good things
1: you, you, we, we, obviously, you've just mentioned the, the journey where you ended up with, with 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 shakedown. Uh you've very conveniently recently put out some of the old shakedowns, which I I genuinely forgot how good they were.
0: I genuinely um, forgot how bad they were. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, and, so and there is the other end of the spectrum.
0: So, um, I I think i have now, and it's quite a long process because I'm not a particularly quick. Um, technical operator so just the the boring behind the scenes i think i've put 14 or 15 entire shows up now i've not even looked into the legal (laughs) aspect of who has the rights but they just don't exist online and so many people uh, bless bless everyone or uh, sort of remember Shakedown very fondly. So I wanted to uh, <laughs> disabuse them of their fond memories <laughs> by actually putting them up. <laughs> <So> basically, <laughs> you're smashing their rosy-coloured spectacles. So, yeah, so basically the show that I made from 2004 to 2006, so that's three full seasons of the WRC when it used to be 16 rounds a year, um, we made a show called Shakedown, which was made by Sony Pictures Television, which... Uh, they'd bought the rights to the WRC for AXN, which is their, was their global cable channel. And um, they, they knew that a lot of their viewers in a lot of countries that didn't know what rally was, like America at the time, needed an explainer show. So that show, Shakedown, was an explainer show. So we had to just turn up at a, at a round of the WRC and make, we could only show 20, 20% of the show was all we was allowed to be actual rally footage. So everything else had to be original content. So that's it was just us, just me, uh, a producer, camera operator, and a a sound guy just arriving somewhere and going, how do we make television out of this, like three or four times a day for the week of a rally event? And I look back, and some of it's incredible, but some of it, oh, my God. Um,
1: But do you know what? Right, okay. And and again, you and I have both spoke about this other times as well. (laughs) We're all... Well, I think we're, we're equally self-critical when we look back <laughs> on our, our own bodies of work, should we say. And by
0: the way, when you, when you said that um, that you, I've watched you work a room as a stand-up, as a compare, certainly, and, and you were far better and more comfortable on that stage, or certainly looked it, than I ever was. So don't, don't do that. <laughs> f- Thank you.
1: Thank you um i might go back to it now then i'm gonna put that on a poster um do you know what what i find interesting what you've just said there. obviously you told about the journey how how you got into shakedown how much did you know you were getting into because obviously i'm i'm, I'm assuming you were you know you, you, you did a young hungry presenter who's just being you know given uh, a chance to do this 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 phenomenal program but how aware of you of the environment you, you were going into? You know, had you ever been to a rally before? You know, where how aware were you?
0: That's a good question. I um I'd been to I'd been I used to go to uh um rallycross little local rallycross and stock car events. I'd honestly never spectated on a rally in person, um, but I'd been to motorsport events. But my thing was very much extreme sports adventure sports i'd been i i'd been a competitive bmx uh, racer and i'd so and i presented for the extreme sports channel and i was just expecting it to be that kind of free you know that kind of um just barrel up to a to an athlete and talk to them um and to a certain extent when i think back now compared to a lot of the work i've done since across lots of different sports, it was quite free uh, but i had no concept and what one of the most telling things when i watch the 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 shows back now is when i'm walking up to the likes of sebastian Loeb or harry rovenpera or marcus granholm or marco martin people who are absolute legends people in their completely in their own world who are concentrating on the setup of their car on their own issues you know in in each of those cases probably apart from sebastian Loeb. um They're not in a car they're particularly happy with, and you've just got this idiot barreling up to them, either asking a really stupid question for a good reason to try and get a funny answer, or just who is interrupting their thought process to get a, quote... Um, that's non sort of journalistic and I look at their faces and they're all so gracious. It's very rare that you see any of them just kind of do a little eye roll and go, here comes Neil, which I think now I would have done. That's what (laughs) strikes me as is how, how good they were, how, how keen they were to play along um, and how much we sort of got away with, not in a kind of Dennis Pennis pranking kind of way, but just, just being naive And they—they're so like the so many of them just keen to play along, but also keen not to smash it down, which is probably more important. That they can see where we're trying to open up the sport that we love to a to a new audience, and the way to help that is to is to patronise this little guy who's running around the service park. Um, But no, I didn't know, have any clue what I was getting myself into at all. and professionally, it took me down a, a very different journey than expected. I mean, I'd spent three years, three and a half years up until that point being a, a, a international VJ for MTV. So I was interviewing pop stars and, and rock stars and, and traveling the world, um, going to big music events. So I knew the whole kind of the, the, the sort of skill, the transferable skill of presenting to camera and interviewing sort of famous people. That was that was in my back pocket. But. But transferring it to motorsport, I had no idea that that would then take me on a journey, which now, 16 years later, is it's probably sort of 60, 70% of what I do. And I love it. I wouldn't change it. It's a, it's it, it's still my favorite place to be, because um, recently I was in, in Rally Mexico for the first time in many years working with Ken Block, and um, standing on the stage... Uh, with my handwritten start, li- start list for the day because it's changed since the one we got the night before. Timing between cars, all of the stuff that you do when you're spectating at a rally stage. Just doing that again for the first time in what six? No more than that. Properly for the first time in like ten years. Oh, it was brilliant. It's, it, I kind of just looked, just got this real buzz that this is where this is where it all began for me, and I still love doing it.
1: Uh, do you know uh, I'm, I'm gonna go take you back just for for, for a second there. did you ever feel when you were doing some of the shakedowns that you, 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 you were you were game for anything did you ever did you ever feel like the producers were ha- perhaps trying to find your boundaries? Because <laughs> I don't mean in any kind of mucky way. I mean, <laughs> but you, you every episode it just felt like they were kind of let's just throw Neil out of an aeroplane let let's see what happens. Let's get it's making bungy. Let's see whether yeah. we can
0: get him to say no. Yeah, I think because that's the thing is it's funny to look back now as someone in their <clears throat> mid forties um, to um, to where I was then. So you know, the first year of Shakedown was. 2004. So I was early. I was like just just 30, right? And um, I remember then that when we went to New Zealand uh, and they said we'd really like you to do a bungee, I'd gone. You no, know, 30 year old Neil had gone. I'm never doing a bungee. And then of course I did a bungee. And then of course I did one the following year as well, an even bigger one. Um, so the weird the weird thing about that is that they always they would always run things by me and I would always go, well, I haven't really got a choice. (laughs) And there's two, there's two, two minor stories there. One is I hate, and I still hate doing Vox Pops. So when you randomly go up to people sort of public, and have to ask them a question to kind of gather as many sort of sound bites from the public as possible. That's still something that makes my flesh crawl. um, Because I, as a human being, uh, I'm quite a shy person, and I don't really do small talk. I'm I'm, I'm weird. (laughs) People who know me well will know that I'm weird at small talk. I'll stand next to you quietly, happily. But if, if I'm expected to break the silence i feel awkward it's a a funny thing so one of the worst things a producer could ask me to do (laughs) not jump out of a plane or play swamp hockey you know um would be to go up to strangers and ask them a a question so that was a weird one um and uh you know i had to i put up recently i put up this is a little exclusive just for you Tony, I put up um, Monte Carlo 06 and I actually edited out a two-minute section <laughs> 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 because I couldn't. It made my flesh course so much, and it was called um, "Shakedown Babes." And I was going. I'd been the producers that, had been at that, that, that age. Well, yeah, I'd go, just going up to random young women in uh, in Monte Carlo <laughs> Harbor, handing out shakedown t-shirts, going, "You are officially a shakedown babe." And it's like I can see watching it back that I'm uncomfortable doing it. I can see that it makes really uncomfortable television, but for whatever reason, it was decided that we were such a male show that we had to try and incorporate women and, you know, clearly objectifying them was the, was the, the correct way to do it. So I, 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 I'm, that's the only thing that I've cut out of all the episodes I've put up so far. So it just was so wrong. It was like, no. So things like that would always make me feel slightly uncomfortable, but no. In terms of trying to break Neil and at one point successfully breaking Neil when I broke my foot in Germany, 2005, um, they, they just kept throwing things at me, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I think there became a bit of a, of a thing with that, with the producers kind of, is he ever going to actually say no? Is he ever going to sort of not do one of these really dangerous things we're asking him to do? And I think I did everything. I think I did everything.
1: Well, the other part of the challenges were, you also got drivers to do silly <laughs> challenges. Do you, do you almost think, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same question again almost. You think the producers thought, can we get Neil to ask the drivers to make paper aeroplanes? Do, do you think he'll ask them to do that? Yeah, Neil will get them to do that. Yeah, Neil, we want you to ask them <laughs> to make
0: paper aeroplanes. See, those? I, I still believe that things like that really works because, sorry, that's just a slide. I'm just having a cup of tea delivered by my lovely wife, Leslie. Thank you very much. And she just stuck a middle finger up at me. <laughs> Welcome <Watching> the podcast. <laughs> okay. um, and that's the sliding door again. And we continue. Um, so uh, I think, that, and because since then, since Shakedown ended in 2006, and then I did three years of Dave, which was a similar beast, but different. Um, I think that when we did things like that with the drivers and the co-drivers, it was almost a relief for them. Because if anyone who spends any time around a, a service park or a paddock in any motorsport, drivers and co-drivers um, just get sick of talking about what the stage is like, how they are feel about leading the championship, how they feel about not leading the championship, who their main rival is, why their car isn't faster. Because everybody wants those soundbites and everyone wants them to uh, say something exclusively to them that they haven't got. And of course, a lot of them just give the same answers and everyone publishes it and they're basta, everyone's happy. But I honestly think watching back when we were getting them to make plasticine models of their car in in Spain and the loose link was it's like Salvador Dali. I mean, what? You know, it's whatever the reason was when they actually get to do something physical it shows a side of their personality and they don't have to just tread the same old ground that quite often they're not that comfortable with anyway because English isn't their first language and they're quite shy. Um, So I still, I, I really believe that when you would do, when we were doing those activities with them, Having said that, I don't think I'd feel comfortable doing them now. And I think if I were in a service park and I saw a young crew coming in doing stuff like that with the drivers, I'd probably stand there quite snobbishly going, (laughs) these these idiots, we've done this before. Um, And that's a failing on my part because I think it really helped bring out some fun and personality. I mean, the the classic was beef. That moment where Michael Park made a... um, uh, Um, a paper airplane and he threw it and it went straight into I think it was Tony Vellum's lens of his camera it was like a a rally moment it was like a little perfect encapsulation of what Shakedown was like is there was some fun with some engineering at its core Um, and uh, it involved everyone because the, the, the photographers always gathered around when we were doing interviews because they thought they'd probably get some more interesting shots of the drivers because they might be smiling or laughing or doing something different so yes i would sort of often cringe when the original ideas were pitched to me about we're going to do this at shakedown um but then when you did it it was it was fun i think the worst ones is when i dressed up you know wearing a wearing a mullet wig for germany is frankly racist um and similarly for Australia, dressing up as an Aussie rules footballer. Um, and, uh, and then when we went to Corsica, dressing up as uh, a member of the French Foreign Legion, it's like, what? But, you know, luckily I was uncynical enough at the time to just do it. And, you know, thank goodness I was, because I definitely wouldn't do it now.
1: <laughs> well, it, you, you know, you've, you've just kind of led me where I, I kind of wanted to go in the, in the sense I was just about to say, do you think there was an element of, I don't know what the history was of, of the, you know the production team or the production company back at base or whatever, but the fact you had no history as such with within the sport within yeah. the service park or whatever it was, so you had no angles so you you you, you didn't perhaps appreciate that you know you didn't speak to Marcus Gronholm at nine o'clock in the morning because he hadn't had his breakfast at that point. I'm only kind of using that totally. as an example. Yeah, no, you're, 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 so so you're you, you have no head, preconceptions yeah. at all. So you, 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 you went in there completely on the on a clean sheet of paper for everybody. Do you think that was used? Do you think that was something that was perhaps tapped into?
0: Definitely. I really, I really believe that... I really believe that um, that they knew that because I hadn't spent, you know, a season doing it as the sort of host reporter, I hadn't been working my way up from junior uh, DV operator. Do you know what I mean? I hadn't been in in the team. Got to the point where they thought, oh, we'll try this this young uh, this young guy out um, on a new role. I was completely fresh to it, and fresh to the discipline like I was a motorsport fan I was a rallying fan but I'd never worked in motorsport everything I'd done up until that point for TV was either adventure sports or entertainment television so I do believe that that was a big part of why um, they cast me for that role is because I just arrived blank canvas no agenda and no um, pre-existing what's the word opinions or reputation or or yeah just just completely new and fresh um and I didn't know like I I very quickly learned how to get an interview out of Marcus when he was at Peugeot because there was no PR person and they would just hide around the back but you didn't know that when you just arrived you just thought well we're never going to get an interview with any of the Peugeot drivers because they will just hide and they're allowed to hide um Whereas some of the other teams had really good, really good, sort of um, very progressive uh, and proactive PR people who would push drivers towards us, so you just learn very quickly how to play the service park. But no, straight away, I didn't know didn't know anything about them apart from what I'd seen on telly.
1: Um, I, again, because you're coming in with that clean sheet of paper at that point, did you, you know, the benefits of hindsight now looking back and. Again, I'll, I'll I'll use Mark James as an example. When we made the 95 documentary a few weeks ago, he didn't probably know at the time of what the season he was about to cover or certainly that period of going into Colin and Richard and things like that. Were you aware that perhaps, you know, we, we you know, more recently we, we have gone back, of course, we've gone back down to three teams now, but we went back to having four teams and we hadn't had four teams since Way back to that period, were you aware that you were going into perhaps a halcyon period for WRC at that point?
0: I think I, I think I knew it while I was there. I, d- I don't think I knew it um, when I went into it. Um, but when you look back at who was who was competing those three years, and the different teams and the breadth the, the breadth of cars um, and teams and drivers, um, it's extraordinary to think just how many. How many opportunities there were to tell all the different stories, and while it was the beginning of Sebastian Loeb dominating, there was still so much sort of hope and competition among all the other teams and drivers, and it just it, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't have it does not have that that depth and strength anymore. Um, like I just yesterday, I was uploading. Um, a feature from uh, Germany '06, and it was Armin Schwarz was the boss of a Red Bull team, and I've uh, completely forgotten that existed of Skoda's. And as we're going into the team truck, Matthias Ekstrom's coming out, and, you, and uh, oh, yeah, he's he's a, he, and that's 2006. Um, so that's sort of he was he was there on the scene. I remember there's there's a moment in Rally GB from '04, I think um and Gerland Shisherit is driving a saxo you know that was while he was still competing as a as a free ride world champion skier um. And there's, there was so much going on in the background that we, we I, when I look back, I kind of go, oh, we barely scratched the surface. The, the now hardened motorsport journalist goes, oh, we should have been following that story. But where? How could we have? We put so much into every episode that there's no way we call, could have followed every story. But yes, when you look back now, it was a very rich uh, period. And while on paper, it looks. Like it's just Lope dominating, lobe dominating, lobe dominating. You can see at the time that there's still this incredible competition. And, you know, when it's 2005, you're just going, oh, sorry, 2006, it was two-time world rally champion. Well, now you have to say nine-time world rally champion. So at the time, we were just going, he's freshly double champion, but there's still the chance he's going to be beaten. And that's, that was really exciting.
1: Um, I, I've seen some of the pieces where you're going up to the likes of Seb. Seb looks incredibly young. It makes me feel incredibly old, even though we're a similar age. But I've watched back, as I say, some of the, some of the Shakedown um, episodes. And uh, was it, I suppose, and I suppose it's a repeat of the question that we covered before, really. But one thing that did kind of spring to mind also is that there was, there was, <sighs> There was never a question of trust. It never looked like they didn't trust you. There was more of a question of amusement quite a lot of the time. (laughs) Is that fair? You know, they never seemed to not trust you.
0: It's interesting that, isn't it? Yeah, I I think you're right. Now, I don't want to presume what anyone else is ever thinking, but watching back now, and and as you know, a big part of the job when you're... um, presenting or interviewing or even, you know, comparing or, or, or doing stand-up is reading the room, is body language, is that sense of almost the, se- the sixth sense of knowing how another person is feeling at this point. So I don't want to presume to know what they were thinking. But yeah, I think you're right. I think they just kind of trusted that I wasn't, you know, a hard-nosed journalist from uh, Motorsport News or Autosport or uh, Ebdo in France, Auto Ebdo or any of the international... Um, publications looking for a, a hard scoop um I think they trusted that I was that my intentions were good and a lot of them had sort of seen the show and kind of thought oh we want to be part of that that fun experience um I'm not saying that Sebastian Loeb ever felt that but at the same time he I think he just kind of felt quite comfortable with him because I did I would always do with all of them like I do now it's a big part of my um sort of belief when you're doing interviews if you've got time before you do an interview with someone you just explain to them what you're going to do and it really puts them at ease and they go oh okay a safe pair of hands you give them an idea of what you want out of it what might happen what I might ask um, and what it's for and then they go okay and then they relax and then you do it so quite often we would have pre-prepared them before I would go barreling up to them and then they would have a sense of what I was going to do so that the fact that you're pre-warning them gives them a sense of trust that you're never going to spring a horrible surprise on them um and then the, every time you do that and you don't sort of um you, you know every time you do something that isn't a horrible surprise you earn more trust and you never do anything to discern that trust so it becomes a, a really nice relationship i,
1: I don't know it, it, it's completely different levels but one thing I always did, and I'm sure this kind of echoes what you've just said. I used to, whenever I used to arrive on, on rallies or at rally cross, wherever when I was doing the coverage for wherever I was doing the coverage, I'd, I'd, I'd walk the paddock. If it was rally cross, and I'd walk the service park. If it was uh rally and I'd go in, if, if I didn't know them, I'd go and introduce myself and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to be doing. Y- you may not know me. If you don't, this is what, this is kind of what I do and, you know, and, and stuff. And, that was the best thing i think i ever did and yeah. i still get really nice messages now from especially from the rallycross guys from from, from british Rallycross, who always you know say you know always loved having you around you know if ever you want to come back you're more than welcome to and i haven't done that series for five years
0: yeah that's really sweet and it's really important because they're just human beings and we if we're in the business of making television or broadcasting in any way um around a sport we naturally just presume that everybody knows how it works, and they really don't. The drivers, the team managers, the mechanics, the chefs, they don't necessarily understand that if we come in with a camera and a microphone and a little crew, is it live? Is it not live? Is it pre-recorded? What kind of lenses? Blah, blah, blah. Do we need to have the engines off on the car? Can we still use our nut guns? If you just let everybody know, then... Everybody goes, oh, I can relax a bit now. That's su- such an important part of the job. And I mean, what you've said is exactly true. And that's really big of you to do that. And it's not, some people might do that and it's a little bit of, a, of peacocking, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go around yep. and tell everyone I've arrived. Well, no, the opposite is the case. You go around and kind of, I'm really sorry to interrupt, but if we come around with a camera, it's for this and this and this, and just tell us if we aren't welcome, we'll come back another time. And that just sort of lays such lovely groundwork that, and if you never outstay your welcome or if you never um, uh, disobey the rules, then they remember that, that you've been one of the good guys and you'll you'll play ball. And then they'll feel more comfortable going, actually, um, can you come back in about 20 minutes? We're having a really important meeting. Um, uh, and then you go, yeah, of course, we'll be back at half past. You know, that's that's the kind of relationship you need to build at any level. And I'd say in any sport. Yeah.
1: Was there any drivers that you, you kind of, because obviously, I suppose the, the elements of surprise was gone after, <laughs> first year, a little bit was there was there was there any kind of was there any drivers where you felt slightly nervous going going to approach at any any given time I can I can name one instantly that I would perhaps struggle to read their body language and I would say Gigi Garley straight away <laughs> or I'd be I, I'd kind of want to be just in earshot of him before I even attempted to go have a conversation uh just to kind of gauge the mood yeah uh, he's was, a fiery it, customer Yeah, absolutely. Was there anybody where you you, kind of, you you weren't
0: always quite sure? Colin McRae. Okay. He really didn't want to play. Um, And he, he was, you know, by the time I actually got to meet him and interview him, I naturally, he was a legend. He was the kind of pinnacle of everyone. Um, I could possibly want to to meet. But I'd also been in the, in the in sort of North One WRC TV team enough that I'd heard loads of people who'd had an amazing time with him and uh, people who'd had been massively shut down in interviews by him. Um, so I was really daunted when I first... And, you know, it was, it was lovely to meet him and it was lovely to talk to him. But yes, the few rallies that I did where he was competing... It was very difficult to get even a straight journalistic sort of answer out of him. Uh, no, that's not true. Um, he would—he was always honest. That's the difference: is that if you asked him a question which wasn't 100% correct, then he wouldn't necessarily answer the question that you want that you meant to ask. You know how we, when we're when we're interviewing, we sort of maybe ask a euphemistic question. Well, he wouldn't truck that. He would he would give you, he go, what, is, what does that mean? What's that question? That's not a question. So you yeah. then have to ask the difficult question. You go, well, no, that's not true. So I think he was the most difficult one to approach because you knew you were going to get uh, kind of slightly stonewalled. Um, but then when he did want to play, he was brilliant. So I think, I think for me, he's one of those people that, Came with such a reputation that it affected how I approached him, which is never good as a as a as a presenter, as a reporter, as a journalist. You you have to treat all equally, and I think I held him up on too much of a pedestal, so it was it was too easy for him to sort of for me to perceive that he might be punching down, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, and it's it's all my perception; it wasn't him. So I've learned that taught me a lesson never to base your own self esteem on the people that you're being being sort of having to interview because it doesn't do you any good so you've got to treat them all the same
1: i can relate to it in a a tiny way i never worked with colin professionally but um a guy who was on the 95 especially has been on this jerry freeman who who was a very very good friend of mine was colin's tire engineer and i was doing something for jerry um and colin was there it was the launch of the brc i think in 2006 and colin was there and i went into their hospitality and colin was there and i have never you 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 know as well as me neil you meet a lot of people either you've done it more so than me you know doing you know wrc and stuff like that but even doing stand-up you get to meet a lot of people who would deem to be household names Mm -hmm. um and never ever affected me in any way shape or form honestly i can say that hand on heart nobody's ever kind of Comedy store, places like that, never felt kind of, you know, but I walked into that hospitality and I completely and utterly lost it to the extent where, uh, Jerry said, do you want to come for dinner with us? Mm-hmm. And I said, I've got to go. And I didn't, I had nowhere to go. I walked outside, I had nowhere to go. <laughs> Genuinely had nowhere to go, but I said I had to go somewhere. Um, and it was that moment and, um, you know, subsequently it, it turned into a slightly different, different thing after that. But, that precise moment in 2006, I was completely and utterly thrown, at it. again, well, they, it was
0: Colin. Uh, there you go. So that's the thing: is we come at we come at these people with with our own baggage, and I think that's a problem. Like uh, the flip side of that is someone like um, Kimi Raikkonen. The years that he was in the WRC, um, I was in a very fortunate position, and this kind of thing didn't really work with with Colin, um, but with Kimi, he'd. A, his co-driver was Kai Lindstrom, and i built up a really strong relationship with Kai back to his days in the Mitsubishi Rally Art team, uh, co-driving for Christian Solberg. And, of course, now he's sporting director at Toyota Gazoo. Um, and, uh, but, he, but Kai and I had sort of forged a really good relationship right back from that first season of Shakedown. Plus, Shakedown was quite popular, as I understand it, in Finland. So Kimi, who'd always been a rally fan, and was still you know, driving Formula One uh, or at least taking a sabbatical, um, had been watching my show. So A, my, inter- to, my introduction to him was via his very good friend, Kai Lindstrom, and B, he knew who I was. So I was able to get sort of good contact with Kimmy e and not be as daunted by him as other journalists were, um, just because I was lucky, because I had a, a very special angle of attack. Um, which lots of people didn't have and, and as a result I didn't feel quite as daunted or as rejected um, by him when he didn't want to speak to journalists and stuff because I totally got it and again he's someone like Sebastian Loeb who is actually quite shy, they literally are in their elements when they've got um, their right foot on, a, on an accelerator pedal and their hands on a steering wheel and a helmet on outside of that, it's not their comfort zone, talking to other human beings, especially journalists, is not their favourite place to be, and I get that. I totally get it. So I was always very aware with the likes of Loeb and, and Reichen and that you're dealing with shy people who are just supremely talented behind a steering wheel, um, and that's all they want to do. And the rest of it that goes with it is is uh, just sort of baggage. Yeah.
1: Um. You mentioned it before, and I kind of half forgot about it. Uh, until you reminded me, but the the jump to Dave probably gave me one of the most surreal moments in my personal and in a better comment professional life. Is I was on Rally Cyprus, I think it would have been two thousand and eight, and I was in M Sport Hospitality or M Sport Ford, whatever round you want you want to put it. Back then, I was in Ford Hospitality having breakfast, and I looked across the room. And there was uh, a very, 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 very funny man who was part of my childhood um, called Sean Hughes, who's sadly no longer with us. Yeah. And Sean was sat on his own. <laughs> and do you know, when you do a double take and you think this person shouldn't be in this particular arena <laughs> and I don't feel like I should be in this arena. And it feels really, but, but I suppose going back to what we've just been saying about Colin a little bit, really, this was somebody I watched regularly on Channel 4 TV in the yeah. UK throughout my teenage years
0: proper comedy and, hero yeah,
1: yeah 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 yeah, and i was it, i sat there for, for such a long time and i went over and i did that thing where i said can i just I, it is sean isn't it said, yeah and i ended up having this conversation with sean for about five minutes <laughs> and then you came and rescued him and you and i weren't really aware of one another at this point there was just more of a quizzical look of who this person is talking <laughs> to my my guest and he got basically uh, he got he got escorted away by you and your your, your cameraman and that, Sorry was about the, the, that no 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 it's it, it, it's <laughs> fine but you were put in this position where uh, the Dave TV station here in the UK was was um, I suppose a, a platform for, for for comedy and it seemed a bit of an odd marriage to put uh, uh, yeah. a, rally, a rally program there and yeah. they tried to merge the two things together which. Which had mixed results, I think is probably
0: fair well, to say. I think I can probably speak candidly. I um, so when when Shakedown ended at the end of two thousand and six, it kind of left me pretty much high and dry. Uh, you know, it was a really really difficult time for me because we it was actually the show was on a real high, and Sony Pictures Television were really happy with it. The WRC was was happy with it, but there was just no budget to continue making it. But no one had really told us that. So for three years, I had thrown myself into this show, sometimes literally um, traveling almost the whole year, spending two thirds of the year away from home. Uh, on the WRC and I'd let loads of my other things slide like um, comedy and radio and acting like I didn't, just didn't have time like we were shooting between seven and ten days on site 16 rounds of the season and in between I was genuinely like a like a broken shell that had to reform <laughs> between events because just exhausting anyway get the violins out, blah, blah, blah. Um, So then there was nothing. 2000, I just kind of found myself spat out the back at the end of it. No, no job, no WRC, no anything. And I really spent the whole of 2007 just kind of trying to get some more plates spinning. And then at the end of it, I found out, I got called to a meeting and North One said that Dave had bought the rights to the WRC and they were going to start showing the WRC because it worked really well with Top Gear. Now that's the thing you have to remember, Dave had Top Gear and Top Gear reruns, um, were some of their highest rating shows. And there was a brilliant idea to just, just to bang out the, the, the archive of Top Gears on Dave, but they wanted something that would complement Dave that was original. So (laughs) they, at that point, the commissioning editor really liked rallying. So they bought the rights to the WRC, but they also wanted to give it a Dave spin. So thank the, the stars, whatever, um, I was called into a meeting. Now, they wanted Richard Hammond to present World Rally on Dave. Now, of course, they weren't going to get Richard Hammond to present World Rally on Dave. That would have cost them, you know, add Three zeros on the end of whatever my fee was, plus they weren't going to get him to go out and cover 16 rounds around the world because he was a busy, successful presenter making a TV show already. So they kind of went down the chain of talent until they got to me. Um, And uh, that's so then I got that gig and then we did a year. So I think it must have been 2009. Maybe that you saw him in Cyprus, saw Sean Hughes, because we did 2008 was me hosting. And it was a a sort of a a straightforward mashup of stuff we used to do on Shakedown, but a bit more grown up and a bit more UK TV plus serious sort of rally highlights. Um, And then during that year, as often happens in television, um, the commissioning editor for Dave moved on. A new commissioning editor comes in and goes, "Well, why have we got a motorsport? This doesn't work. Ugh, this is the show of QI and Mock the Week. This is the this show. Cha- this is the channel of Mock the Week and Live at the Apollo. And why why have we got this, this motorsport show? What we need to do is fill it with funny celebrities. So we had a weird year where we had to somehow crowbar uh, guests into this motorsport and." it's so uh, with all honesty, several of them were genuinely only there apologetically to take the paycheck, had no interest in rallying, um, took a little holiday, got paid a few grand. Uh, and we had to work incredibly hard as a production team to sort of crowbar them into the environment and make it work. Now, some of them it really worked well with like um, Robert Llewellyn. You know, he's got a genuine automotive um automotive interest and in engineering um uh, the hairy bikers um that worked really well chris hoy uh, who was on his career path to between being a, a massively successful world champion olympic champion cyclist and being a racing driver so uh, ben shepherd you know there were certain people for whom it really worked and some for whom it really didn't. But Sean was was a, a brilliant case because he threw himself into it. He didn't compromise himself. He he still was the lovable, freewheeling, surreal comic Sean that we know and love, but he didn't judge where he was. And for me, that was a, a lovely week to spend with someone who I really admired as a hero um, because I learned a lot about him and actually learned a, a bit about Myself and the jog to watch how he operated um, because these people didn't come with an entourage. They would get on a plane, come out and be with us. And then we'd have to find a way to incorporate them into our rally show and still show the highlights, still interview all the drivers. But we would also have to have these bolted on celebrities um, who fitted the mould of what Dave, the, the, that month's commissioning editor at Dave thought their channel should be about. And, you know, it didn't always work. And I know we alienated a lot of rally fans, and I'm I'm with them. You know, it was a weird fit, but it was completely beyond our control. Luckily, during that year, that commissioning editor moved on. So for the last year of Dave, which was 2010, um, it went back to a relatively straightforward car-based Presented rally highlights show.
1: And then, I suppose the end of 2010 is when your first, I suppose, love affair with, with, with WRC came to a, a, a slow grinding halt.
0: Yeah, so you know, for the second time, I got spat out the uh, sort of the the the, um, the sausage grinder. So it happened at the end of 2006, um, but then I got picked up again a year later, and then at the end of 2010. Um, the Dave Show came to an end, and yeah, that was that was it. So I spent two. Um, I had to kind of again re- sort of rebuild myself. Luckily, I'd got a few more plates spinning, but it was a re- it's a really weird thing my um, my relationship with the WRC um, because like most things I do in life, uh, when I'm in something, I am a hundred percent in. I give all of myself to it. So then when it's taken away you take it incredibly personally and I was, I'd watch everything. I'd read everything. I mean, obviously I was a fan anyway, but I would, I would just, I had to really wean myself off just being an absolute ridiculous anorak just because it hurt. It was like, I took it really, really personally um, when I wasn't there anymore. And it took me a few years. And then eventually I did actually do a year as a producer, features producer in 2013 um, for the, uh, WSE promoter TV, um, which was fun. It was nice to be part of it, sort of serious behind-the-scenes journalist type, um, making nice features, um, and that was lovely. It was lovely to be back and not have the pressure of being a, a presenter, and also to be able to walk around the the um, service park and just to see so many friendly faces. And that's the thing you miss is all the faces. Um, so recently, when I went to Rally Mexico. Just all the, the engineers, all the mechanics, all the people that work in the teams and all the, you know, everyone is still a lot of the same people. Uh, they might have switched teams <laughs> in the intervening years, but just to see the same people is a, re- is a real pleasure. And it's the people that are the beating heart of that sport.
1: The You've just mentioned Mexico and you've mentioned it a couple of times now. You were, you were back out there because you were working with, that, to me, this seems the most natural fit for you to be doing <laughs> videos in the world. Again, I'm not just saying this. Is working with Ken Block, and how how did that come about? Because you know we we're very fortunate. Derek Dornis, he joins us quite regular on on Absolute Rally and and everything else. But we know you know Ken's Ken's quite a private guy uh, at the best of times. How how did you how did you end up with Ken, and how did that relationship kind of form?
0: Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I feel. <clears throat> excuse me, I, I'm getting quite emotional. And um, um, no, I, um, it feels really natural for me as well. Like uh, as a sort of a grown-up throwback to the kind of stuff I felt like I wanted to do in Shakedown is what I'm being asked to do now when I do one of these jobs for the Hoonigan team. And that's it. Does feel like a very natural fit because when I'm vlogging for Ken's content, you're. Ver- I'm very much sort of a lone wolf I have a little vlogging camera there are other people filming but they're filming the car they're filming Ken they've got GoPros everywhere they're they're not worried about me so I'm I'm the one who has to make sure that anything that happens that needs documenting I'm documenting it on my little on my little vlogging camera so but because I've had so many years of self-producing that comes quite naturally but my relationship with Ken is just kind of steadily sort of developed over the years and it just the, working with him officially now for the first time just sort of came out of the blue last um uh september i think they got in touch to ask me to do rally legend and uh rally du Valais, um back to back as part of the cosy world tour um and and then it just that seemed to really work you know i spent 12 days as part of their as part of his inner circle um and it was really nice it felt like a, a, a relatively natural fit um and I think if it was me 10 years ago or, or I don't think I'd have felt as sort of comfortable there as I do now because uh it can be a little bit daunting and I understand that but I think I've I've grown up a bit and I'm older and wiser and in that it, it, just, it just felt I felt safe I felt like that it felt OK. And they work really hard to make sure you feel that. like Derek is brilliant. I've known Derek was very welcoming in his in his nice sort of raised eyebrow, um, uh, been around the world a few times. Look in that way he has of making you feel at home by um of slightly taking the, the piss out of you or whatever he he he's been he's been a, a really nice figure in that world since 2004 um for me when I first met him on the WRC so nice to have someone like him and I think he while he doesn't have any um necessary any actual physical uh hiring and firing say I think you can tell that everybody in Ken's entourage uh, sort of looks to Derek's opinion of who comes into their inner circle. So I felt very sort of proud and honoured that I was kind of deemed, you know, Derek worthy (laughs) (laughs) Um, and sort of be allowed in and then to stay in because I think that's the thing is you have to kind of earn your stripes. You have to earn your entry and then you have to earn your stripes. So I think I'm still kind of earning my stripes, but it's nice to feel that I I kind of belong. Do you know what I mean? It actually feels, because I've got such a my history is in skate and, and, and adventure sports. So is Ken's. And we, I just feel we've got a very similar sort of, uh, vibe. He's very much, he loves the aesthetic. He studied at architecture. He's, he's loves sort of graphic design. He's got one eye on everything like that. And, and me too, you know, all of that would sort of, it's quite a good fit. And also he's quite, one of the reasons they need people to host the vlogs for them is that he doesn't like talking to camera that much. He's, he, he, they, that's why they get other people to, to do a lot of the presenting for the Ho- Hoonigan stuff and for, for his channel is that he's he's much more comfortable if someone else launches something, hosts something, and then turns the camera on him, I think. Um, that's the sense I get is that he'd rather be prodded and then interviewed and asked a question than having to be the host of a, of a vlog. So they just need a human being to physically do that. And I'm happy to be that human being.
1: Brilliant. Well, hopefully, as I say, when things become a bit more normal, we'll see a little bit more of, of, of what you can do with Ken. I've got one request, though, um, before before we come to this, this, the end of this <laughs> lovely chat. Can you stop telling me that I've exceeded track limits, please? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, I'm so sorry. I, this, this, I, I shout at myself as well. Um, I... I'm very angry with the spotter on Dirt Rally 2.0, and it, just because it's me doesn't mean I get any less angry than the rest of you. Okay, that's fine. Sorry.
1: That, I, I mean it with love, Neil, but really, it's, it's getting to the stage now where I realise I'm not very good at Rallycross. Um, I don't need you to point it out to me every time I attempt it.
0: Oh, mate, when it when I'm telling myself they're pulling away, Gap is two cars. It's like, I know, I can see they're pulling away, Neil, you idiot. So, no, I, I fully feel your pain, my friend.
1: Do you know what? It's what it's 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 very it it it's very surreal when you you play stuff like this and I'm sure you've you've had this as well over the years because you, you you get to know a lot of these people like Phil Mills I do a lot of work with <laughs> behind the scenes and wow. business and stuff like that and I know Phil quite well now uh jam. yeah and he'll ring me up and everything else and then you switch on this game which is getting played all over the world by millions and millions of people and go well. That's Phil's voice, you know, on Rally, and then I'll go to Rally Crossing. and that's Neil's voice. It's kind <laughs> of, a, it's, it's a little bit surreal, to be honest with you. Does it feel a bit surreal for you thinking about it Definitely,
0: like that? yeah, definitely. And God, I was, you know, I've been into video games longer than pretty much anything else in my, apart from skateboarding. I think video games is the one thing that has been constant throughout my life, and to to be in a video game, a video game that I would Physically go out and buy and play myself. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's bucket list dream come true. Very lucky. Yeah, it's surreal. Uh, and yeah, to be in the same game as as Phil Mills is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but again, some of his calls were a bit late. <laughs> Don't tell him this
1: is that. <laughs> this is what's really funny is that I've actually I know some people obviously are friends with them on social media and stuff like that and of course there's been a big up you know everybody all the professional drivers uh, I've been playing the game probably more than ever recently I've seen him tagged I've seen him tagged in a few posts (laughs) pointing out Phil why did you make that such a late call I blame John Armstrong as well because I think he 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 actually did the recce for it so there you go there's an exclusive (laughs) sorry John I've dropped you in it I know you listen Neil, uh, this has been a lovely chat. Thank you so much.
0: No, thank you, Tony. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Um, it's, it's great. Thank you.
0: This is Absolute Rally.
1: I hope you enjoyed what Neil and I were, were chatting about there. Whether we opened any doors or whatever to stuff you may or may not have known already, I really don't know. Um, as I say, it was just a great chat. And it was somebody, I think I probably talked to you for hours, to be honest with you. Um, but I am trying to keep these to a, a kind of sensible length, I suppose, um, these podcasts. So, um, so yeah, as I said at the top, if you are enjoying it and you have got some pennies, um, please, please, please support the people who are supporting us right now, wherever you are in the world, support those guys. That's all I ask. If you could do that, it would mean the world to us all. And uh, please stay safe please adhere to what you're being told locally by your local authorities and obviously um local governments and things like that no matter what you think there is a reason behind we're being told to do what we're doing um and just i just basically i don't want to lose any of our incredible listeners or any of our amazing rally family around the world um you know at whatever level um just please stay safe and uh, we'll be back next week with another chat, uh, somebody else from Rallying from a completely different perspective. And uh, yeah, stay safe, folks. we back, same time, same place, in the Little Podcast Hole next week.
0: Absolute Rally, powered by the the Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.